Thank you so much. Can you hear me? Good. You having a good morning? Did you have a nice lion? <laughs> Joking. Uh, well, good morning. For those of you that don't know me, uh, my name's Phil, and I'm part of the leadership team here at the church. And uh, this has already been a really great week. Um, Brighton got into the playoffs yesterday in the championship. No one seems quite as excited about that as I do. Where's my friend Ads Brennan when I need him? Um, so uh, that was exciting. But also, we've, uh, we've had a visit this weekend from some friends from the south of France. And um, they, they have been visiting us from the, the home church of uh, Olivier and Elodie. Olivier was the, the man who was leading worship this morning. And uh, so we've had a fantastic time. So why don't you guys just quickly stand up so we can just welcome you if you're at the back. Just stand, just welcome these guys. So good to have you guys here. And uh, we've had lots of fun this weekend. We went punting on the River Cam yesterday in Cambridge, which was very, very pleasant. Um, and I learned an interesting thing yesterday, and uh, one of the, the guys who was punting for us told us that w one of the men who owns the biggest punting company in Cambridge said he makes upwards of 600,000 pounds a year for punting. I'm like, who knew there was so much money in punting? So uh, if I'm not here next week, then I'm in Cambridge punting, okay, trying to earn a living. So I'm joking. So... It's all good. If, if, if uh, you're an entrepreneur here, maybe you could start a punting business right here in Bedford. There is a, there's a wide open gap in the market, guys. So just giving you that little tip this morning. All right. Well, if, if you were here last Sunday, you would have heard Simon excellently start a brand new series called uh, The Quest for the Radical Middle. Just wave at me if you were here. Excellent. Well, that was the first and the last in that particular series because we've... We've, we've, we've made a slight U-turn. And uh, what we love to do in this church, if you're new here, is we love to, um, to organise for spontaneity. And uh, so we were just chatting as a, a speaker's team this week and really just feeling like we wanted to just park that series just over here to the left, just for a little bit longer. And we may well come back to it in the future. It's going to be a cracking series. Um, but for now, we just want to take a little bit of a U-turn over the next few weeks and uh, just really try and tune in and preach into some things that different ones of us as speakers are kind of living with, but also issues that we feel are really pertinent for us as a church at the moment. So we're going to call this series Tuning In, which is about trying to get on God's wavelength at the moment. And so I'm going to kick off this series this morning. So it's very exciting. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Joshua and chapter 24. If you haven't, don't worry, the words will come up on the screen behind me. Now, the context in the story that we're reading, uh, for those of you that maybe don't know, is that Israel was led into the land that God had promised them uh, under a leader called Joshua. And uh, under Joshua's leadership, the people of Israel entered the promised land. And uh, they conquered many cities and kind of began to inherit the things that God had promised to them as a nation. And as we hit Joshua chapter 24, we find Joshua really quite near the end of his life but he's giving a kind of a, a last rousing speech, really, to the gathered uh, nation of Israel. And this is what he says to them on this particular occasion. And we'll read from verse 14 of chapter 24. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the river Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We could just get happy right at that moment, couldn't we? As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And really what Joshua is doing at this moment is saying, um, listen guys, the choices that you make right now is going to affect your history in the future. That the stances that you make at this point, at this juncture in your, your life story, the choices and stances that you make really will determine the destiny that you have in your future. And I, I really want to talk this morning about how you can write your own history. How you can write your own history with God by making choices and stances today that will impact you tomorrow. And really, this is a message about not living life accidentally. Okay, you know, it's very easy to live life accidentally, isn't it? Where you kind of just drift from one event to the next event and you kind of just respond and kind of go with the flow. And I want to suggest to you that a better way to live is to live life on purpose. (laughs) And to live life having made some choices beforehand that will color and flavor the rest of your life to come. So I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. I just want to start with this by saying that history, we need to understand that history is co-written with God. History is co-written with God. A man called Chris Vallison says this, there are two ways to live life. You can let your circumstances dictate your stances or you can let your stances dictate your circumstances. Trials do not mold you as much as they reveal you. Isn't that powerful? Trials do not mold you as much as they reveal you. Noble people don't change when times are tough. They change the times. People who refuse to be intimidated by the fear of man are the great ones who rewrite history. Remember who you are and whose you are and you will become a history maker. I love that. And, and really what he's saying is, you know, what you, what you choose and refuse today will really determine whether you win or lose in the future. Okay, the stances that you make today have an impact on what's to come. And I love what Winston Churchill said. He said, history will be kind to me because I intend to write it. Beautiful. I love that. And and, good old Winston, whether he realized it or not, he'd caught hold of a kingdom principle. History's going to be kind to me because I intend to do something about the times in which I live. I intend to do something intentionally so that the future speaks well of me. And we've got to understand this incredible truth that although you and I serve an utterly impregnable, sovereign, all-powerful, totally in charge, Savior and God, at the same time, He wants you to be His partner. There's a mystery right there. There's a mystery that the God who right now is ordering every breath that you breathe, is causing planets to spin in space, is causing the whole universe to exist in perfect harmony. That God, that one who is over history, yet He says, come and be my partner. Come and join me because the truth is you are not hired servants, you are adopted sons. You're adopted daughters and you now get to share in your father's business. You get the privilege of actually joining hands with your father. You'll see your father's going somewhere. Your father in heaven, is, is, he has a trajectory, he has a plan in mind. Do you know that? If you've read your Bible, you'll understand that God has a plan. God is going somewhere. He has a story that he is unfolding. But here's the mystery. He says, I've got a story. Come and be part of it. Come and join. Actually, your choices, your decisions matter. 
Because you're not just kind of tagging along for the ride. Actually, you are partners now with him. You get the privilege of bringing the kingdom wherever you are. And this is the way that Jesus put it in John chapter 15, verse 15. He said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. There's the sovereignty of God bit. You didn't choose God, he chose you. Do you understand that? Something happened in your life. God stretched out his hand of mercy and saved you. He chose you. But he goes on, he says, but he appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. There's the partnership, sovereignty and partnership. And whatever happens when God's sovereignty, God's plan meets your partnership, that's the moment that the kingdom breaks out. That's the moment where suddenly anything could happen. When you join hands with the Father, anything can happen in that moment because history belongs to God but is co-written with us. Isn't that amazing? History is co-written by you and I. And the kingdom of God, you see, is performative. Just nudge someone and say, I know exactly what that means. Performative. The kingdom of God is performative, which simply means this, that when the kingdom comes, it's God's performance in which you actively participate. It's performative. God's doing something, you get to join in. You know, so every time that you, you uh, maybe pray for someone who's sick and you see um, they recover as you pray for them, something's happening. God is doing something and you're getting to join in. See, the truth is you can heal the left eyebrow of a fly. Okay, God's doing something. You get to partner with him. You know, one of my favorite uh, miracles that I've seen in my life was a couple of years ago in Canada and we were praying for a young girl, she's a 16-year-old girl, and uh, we were in a very, very small house church, about 20 people in a basement room uh, in a house in Canada. And we were praying for this young girl. She had a cast on uh, kind of from her knee downwards down to her toes. And for nine months, she'd had this cast on. And she had, had no mobility in her toes at all. She'd not been able to move her toes for nine months. And somehow in this accident she'd have, the, the, the kind of nerves or the, the brain connection from her brain to her toes had been severed. So she had no movement. And the, the doctors were baffled. They were doing all sorts of hospital tests and she had no movement. So we, we, we got her to kind of unclip her, her cast and we, we began to pray. Prayed the first time, nothing happened. We said, well, let's pray again. Prayed the second time. I said, why don't you see if you can move your toes? That was just one of the most beautiful moments as I watched her toes and she went, she didn't make the squeaking noise, but she, she, she moved her toes and suddenly her jaw dropped open and she just burst into tears and her mom and her dad burst into tears. And it was just this amazing moment. And she, she, she walked out of the meeting carrying her cast under her arm. Um, I, I, then, I then emailed the, the church leader a couple of months later once we got back home. I said, how is she doing? He says, total, full mobility, completely restored. It was just a beautiful, beautiful miracle. Now... What, what happens, what happens, what's happening in those kind of moments? God is performing something and you are actively participating. The kingdom is performative. Your choice, your partnership joined with his sovereign power, boom, the kingdom starts to break out because history is co-written with him. So the big question today is, how are you living life on purpose and what stances are you living from that will determine the destiny of tomorrow? I wanna to suggest to you three 
stances that I'm gonna live from this year, you may like to adopt them as your own. You might wanna make some of your own up. This is certainly not an exhaustive list, but these are things that I want to refuse and choose this year because I want to determine how history is gonna write about me. So here are some history-defining stances. You ready? Number one, I refuse to drift into a functional Christian faith devoid of passion, but choose to live my life in wholehearted, white-hot devotion for Jesus. That is stance number one. Stance number one. Psalm 84 puts it like this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord God Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I refuse to live in a lukewarm place when it comes to Jesus. Lukewarm sucks, folks. Lukewarm sucks. I refuse to live there. I refuse to live there. And, you know, it's so easy, isn't it? I've found so many times in my life, it's so easy to suddenly realize that you've drifted into a casual acquaintance with the Lord rather than a white-hot passion for the person of Christ. How many of you have discovered those moments in your life where you just suddenly pinch yourself and you think, hang about, that fire has gone so cold in my life. I'm just doing my duty, really. Where's the passion gone? Where's the, where's the fire gone? Where's that stuff gone? So easy to believe a creed rather than be passionate for a person. But you weren't called to love principles, you were called to love a person from whom principles flow. So I wonder this morning, how is your, how is your passion for the Lord? How is your passion for Him? Because the truth is actually in any relationship, it's easy to begin to drift into just functionality. Marriage would be one example of where you see this happening sometimes, where husbands and wives can actually end up drifting into just casual functionality in their life, where they're going about their day-to-day -day business, paying the bills, going to work, looking after their children, kind of coexisting, but that, that heart of fire, that heart of connection, that, that kind of first spark that you felt when you first met each other and you fell in love and it was all intoxicating and amazing, just somehow isn't there anymore. How does that happen? Well, it happens because fire needs to be tended to, otherwise it goes out. <laughs> okay, you want a fire to keep burning. You've got to do something to keep that fire burning. You've got to put the right fuel on the fire. You've got to look after that fire. And it's exactly the same in marriage, isn't it? If you don't look after the fire of marriage, man, that fire can begin to go out. Um, I read of uh, one Yorkshire couple, and I'm allowed to tell this joke because I was born in Yorkshire. And uh, the... Uh, the, the, cup, the, the wife one day complained to her husband and uh, said, you know, you never tell me you love me anymore. You know, this is after like 25, 30 years of marriage. He's like, you never tell me you love me anymore. And uh, the husband said, listen, I told you that I loved you on our wedding day. If anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> now, how many of you know that is a bad way to live? For your husband, bad, bad. Tell your wife you love her. If you're sitting next to her, tell her you love her right now, okay? I didn't hear anyone. I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> you know, and the, the truth is, the truth is, what happened by accident at first in marriage has to be done on purpose in the future. You know, when I first fell in love with Carol, you know, it was very easy to fall in love. I mean, it was like really easy, you know, when I met Carol and, you know, she was walking up and down the, the, the you know, the aisle at church, her hair flowing in the wind and you know, uh, that music from the Pantene Pro-V advert came into my head. 
You know, it was just like, whoa, it was, it was effortless. It was so easy to fall in love. But how many of you know what happened by accident at first needs to be done on purpose in the future or that fire will go out? Husbands, wives, are you listening to me? Say, so you, you guys have got to make some decisions about how you communicate in your marriage, what your love life looks like. So I'm just going to talk about sex just for a moment, sorry. You know, I'm absolutely serious. You know, sexual intimacy in marriage is not like the cherry on the cake. It's a key ingredient in the, in the cake. Okay? And I, I just want to encourage some of you, because for some of you, this is an area of drift in your marriage. And I pray by God's grace that you sort that out today and have those courageous conversations. Because God wants the fire of love, whether it's in our communication, whether it's in our joining heart to heart, whether it's in our mission together, whether it's in our praying together, whatever it looks like in marriage, actually that fire has got to be tended to. Now listen, it's exactly the same when you walk with Jesus. Something has to be done deliberately. That, that what happened by accident, you know, that first moment where he saved you and you're like, wow, who is this savior? He's so phenomenal. How could he love one like me? How could his grace find someone like me? How could one so magnificent die for me? That first love that we had when perhaps we first came to Christ, listen, that love has to be stoked. Something deliberate has to be done to keep that fire, that passion and devotion of your heart alive. I tell you, there is a revival of white hot passion for Jesus coming to this church and to this nation. It's coming afresh. Something's coming afresh to us. I tell you, we, we just had a youth weekend away and it was just this wonderful, fresh sense of the love of Jesus coming as we worshiped. I tell you, that is coming to us. Fresh, white hot devotion because you weren't saved to love a principle, but to love a person. You know, I, I was... Uh, listening to the testimony of Heidi Baker again recently, and she's a, a missionary in Mozambique, incredible lady, and she was just telling the story of how she's planted some, I think, eight to 10,000 churches in Mozambique. It's not bad, is it? It's not bad. And, uh, but she was also telling the hard part of her story. You know, she was saying, you know, actually that's come at a great cost to me and my family. You know, we're, we're, we're regularly threatened with death. I've been imprisoned. I've been beaten. I've been shot at. I've been, people have tried to stab me. People have tried to chuck me out of the country several times. And she just talked about the cost of actually living this white hot passionate life for Jesus. And the person who was interviewing her said, how, how do you keep going? <laughs> how do you live that kind of life? And her answer was, well, when you've seen Jesus, <laughs> what else can you do? I mean, what else can you do but just give everything for him? He's so lovely. You know, she said, I can't get by any day without five or six hours being with him because he's just so intoxicating. How else, you know, yes is the only thing I can say. I mean, man, that was like an arrow to the heart. And that's why men like Paul in the Bible said, listen, I consider everything else a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. So guys, I wonder how your pulse is this morning. How's your pulse when I say in the name Jesus? You know, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you need to know He is the most amazing person you will ever meet in your life. He loves you, He gave His life for you. You are here because He wants you to know Him personally. 
And if you would like to know Jesus at the end of this meeting, we would love to pray with you and love to introduce you to him. So I'm gonna live from that stance. Say goodbye to lukewarmness. Anyone else wanna say goodbye to lukewarmness? Okay, about half of us. I'm not sure what the rest of us are doing, but I wanna say goodbye to lukewarmness. Second stance is this. I refuse to be a negative consumer who grumbles about the shortcomings in Bedford, but I choose to be a net contributor to making Bedford a place that people love to live and work. This is the way Jesus put it in Matthew 5. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house, to everyone in Bedford. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I realize that not all of us live in Bedford. You may live in Milton Keynes or in Sandy or in Cambridge or somewhere else. But apply wherever you live, wherever God's put you into this principle. That God has called you to be light and to be life, whichever locality he has placed you in. You're called to be good news. And the truth is, this town should notice if the church were not here. You know, if they, if they plucked King's Arms out of Bedford, would Bedford notice? Would they notice? You know, and I've got to be honest that when I first moved to Bedford from Newcastle four years ago, I really loved the church, but I really hated the town. I'm sorry, it's a real big confession this morning. But people would ask me, uh, you know, how, how are you finding life in Bedford? You, do you like it there? Uh, and, um, it was a pregnant pause before I'd answer. And I'd always say something like, I love the church. And the river's really nice. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> you know, that was my standard answer. Church is great and the river's nice. And, you know, if you were to catch me in an unguarded moment, I, I might grumble about, you know, the, the congestion in the roads and, and the, the size of the shops and, the, you know, you know and I'd, I'd come from Newcastle, which was, you know, the cultural capital of the Northeast. And, you know, I was kind of looking, looking through, the, through the lens, you know, of the big city. And, you know, but in the past few weeks and months, God has been speaking to me about learning to love Bedford. Because... The, the Bible actually says that God determines both the seasons of your life, but also the places in which you dwell. Which means if God has put me in Bedford, he's put me here not to complain about it, but to do something and to be a positive influence. And if God has caused you to live in this town or the town that you represent, that is no accident. That's no happy accident. It's the plan of God that you, just as Jesus said, might be a light on a hill. That you might give light to the whole house. And you know, I, I want to start today an um, I Love Bedford campaign in this church. Okay? I want to start an I Love Bedford campaign. Is anyone with me uh, on wanting to join in an I Love Bedford campaign? And you know, I realize that Bedford isn't Milan. I know it's not Paris. I know it's not New York. But listen, what would it, just imagine for a moment, what would it look like if the kingdom so came in this town 
you know, if, it, if the kingdom so came into the, the infrastructure and the, the politics and the finance and the ethics and the, the business creation and the attitudes and the morality and the, the artistic creation and the, the education system, what if the kingdom so came in Bedford that we became a sign and a wonder to the rest of the nation? What would, what would, that, what would that be like if literally this town became a walking sign and wonder and miracle to the rest of this nation? I tell you, I'm up for that. I'm up for people looking into this town and saying, what the heck has made this place such a brilliant place to live? And as they dig a little bit deeper, they'll find that in this town, there is a church that is passionate for the town in which they live. That is not going to be a grumbler, not going to be a naysayer. It's actually going to be someone who contributes to bring in transformation. The question is, what is it that you are contributing? What is it that God has called you to invest, to serve, to give into this town in which God has called you to be. For some of you, it's going to be, you know, becoming school governors. Others, it's volunteering in projects. Others of you, it's starting businesses. For others of you, it's loving your neighbors well. For others of you, it's, it's being a positive force for good at the school gates. For others of you, it's getting involved in local politics. I don't care who with, just get involved. You know, honestly, I think for many Christians, the reason that we don't get involved in politics is that we can't decide which party to choose because we don't like any of them and none of them have all the answers. And so we, we decide to be uninvolved. Can I just encourage you, if you have any kind of political interest, just choose a party and get involved. I'm serious. You know, we need Christians involved in politics. We need, we need people who are standing the ground for the kingdom in the realms of politics. Who's going to do that? Who's going to do that in, in our church? Who are the MPs here in our church? Who are those that are going to stand in Parliament and stand for the kingdom in this church? Who? Who are the ones that are going to stand in, in even local politics, in our local council? Who are the ones that are going to stand for the kingdom? Which ones of you want to take up that challenge? I tell you, it's ripe. You know, people will bite your arm off to get involved. Someone who loves better and says, I want to make a, I want to make a positive difference. I read... Uh, I read this article recently by um, a guy in Redding, California, talking about the church there, Bethel, and uh, it was just a fascinating, fascinating article, and he's a restaurant reviewer, lives in Redding, and he writes this. He says, I am now deeply conflicted about the Bethel church effect because I am by disposition and training a confirmed secular humanist and atheist, and Redding has been one of the meanest, most intolerant places I have ever lived. But then comes along Bethel Church, attracted thousands of people from all over the world, and now they're starting businesses all over town. And here's the thing. It's almost like a given now that the most new enterprises that open in Reading that have a shred of tasteful, cool, urban hipster vibe to them are Bethel places. It's also a given that if Bethel ceased to exist, all these places would likewise cease to exist. I have to grudgingly admit that Bethel has made Reading a better place to live. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that brilliant? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love it if Bedford was able to say that about the church? We have to grudgingly admit, whatever our, our belief system, we have to grudgingly admit, this church makes Bedford a better place. And these people are good news. And you know, the truth is, your mission is not to go into Bedford to convert people. Your mission is to love people so radically is to honor people so radically, is to give them something of an alternative kingdom that they've not tasted before, that suddenly their hearts become wide open to, to explore God for themselves. Because the truth is, God, is, God alone can save. 
But what he's given you is the power and ability to love like he loves, to honor like he loves, to give like he loves, to serve like he serves. And so the question is, what does love look like for the people that God's put around you? What does love look like? What is going to express love to them? A friend of mine in Scotland uh, took a, a team of uh, people from her church into the Scottish Parliament. And before they went, they were praying and they were asking this question, what does love look like for a Scottish parliamentarian? And uh, they thought, well, probably a lot of these Scottish MPs are stressed, under quite high pressure, and probably need to relax. So what does love look like for a stressed Scottish MP? They thought, let's go and give them head massages. And so they got a team together and uh, they, they saw someone at the Scottish Parliament and said, listen, we'd like to come and offer free head massages to Scottish MPs. What do you think? They're like, yeah, okay, let's give it a go. And so they, they got a room one day and it was open for anyone to come. They were there the whole day and they said only four people came into the room and they had a head massage. And they, of course, said they were secretly praying for them as they were massaging their heads, just praying for the kingdom to come, you know. And, uh, and, but they, these four guys had such a positive experience. They felt so loved. They felt so at rest, so at peace, that they then, of course, invited all their colleagues to come the next time. And the next time, literally, there were dozens of these guys coming to have this same experience. Now, it's a simple thing, isn't it? But the question is, what does love look like for the people in your life? Those that don't yet know Jesus, what does love look like for them? Here's my third stance. I'm coming in for a landing. I refuse to diminish my dreams of a nation in revival, but choose to believe that now is the time and today is the hour in which his kingdom is about to break through. Thank you. Acts chapter 2, 17 says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And one of the things I love about the spirit coming in that passage is that old men start to dream again. And I believe that's not talking just about dreams in the night, but it's talking about the resurrection of dreams in the daytime. It's talking about people who've, who've, who've got lots of life experience, but actually are starting to dream again. Because I think it's fair to say that the the, the more life experience you have, and perhaps sometimes the older you are, the less you tend to dream, because often we are looking through the filter of our own disappointments. Because a lot of the time we look back over our shoulder and we think, well, when I was a young man, when I was a young woman, I dreamt for this, and it never came about. It never really happened. And so what we do is we start to shrink our dreams like this. But actually what Acts 2 says, in the last days, one of the effects of the Spirit being poured out, old men start to dream again. Vision starts to return. Hope starts to be rekindled. And suddenly we start to think, wow, what is possible? Rather than what is not possible. And a man called D. Duke that um, I once had the privilege of hearing speak, he led a church of 2,000 people in a town of 2,000 people. It was quite a story. And um, the only person who wasn't yet a Christian was the hairdresser. So they were working on her. So they, uh, and he was just sharing his story, which a lot of his story was about, about contending for breakthrough in prayer. But someone asked him this question. They said, what is the key to the fruitfulness in your life? And this is what he said. He said, I am an effective leader because I've learned how to navigate disappointment 
without downsizing my dreams. Oh, that was like a wet kip around the face. <laughs> it really was. It was one of those moments like, oh God. Oh God, I've learned how to navigate disappointment without downsizing my dreams. What dreams are living in your life right now? And let me tell you, your dreams should be far too big for you to be able to accomplish in your own strength. Okay, your dreams should be far too big. And you know, with regards to revival, I remember uh, again as a in my late teens, I was in a meeting, listening to a guy preach about uh, revival in China, a guy called Rodney Kingstone, and he was preaching about having visited the underground church in Henan Province in China. And he was telling them about this remarkable move of God where literally millions and millions of people were coming to Christ. And the conservative estimate in one province alone in China, in Henan province, was that there were over 30 million Christian believers in the underground church alone. And it was just, it was just snowballing. I mean, it's just momentum. And he was talking about this. And then he got us just to pray for our own nation. I just began to pray. And I began to ask God, God, would you give me 30 million souls in this nation? Give me 30 million souls in the United Kingdom. And he began to show me this picture of this, this large kind of cake with a small segment cut out of it. And I was about to reach for the small segment. I felt God say, no, no, you can have the big piece. You can have the big piece. You can pray big prayers. Ask me for the nation. Don't just ask for hundreds or thousands. Ask me for millions. Ask me, dream, think big. So I began to ask him, God, give me 30 million in my lifetime. And then Rodney Kingston walks from the other side of the room unbeknownst to what I just prayed, put his hand on my head and he said, whatever you have just asked God for, he says, you can have it in your lifetime. That was just one of those spine tingling moments. See, I'm living with a dream that is not realistic at all. But I tell you, I refuse to be realistic. Realism is very overrated. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> I know we need to be realistic as well. But listen, God has called you into an unshakable kingdom. He's called you to follow a savior who rose from the dead. That means actually anything, anything is less than that. You know, the savior rose from the dead. That means anything is possible, guys. And so guys, what dreams are you living with? And I refuse personally to live from the stance of delay and disappointment to cloud my dreams. I wanna live in a place where my dreams are alive and well and are in his hands and in my heart. So what history-making stances are you living from? Are you living life by accident or on purpose? The choices you make today will determine your destiny for tomorrow. And of course, ultimately, the conclusion to all this is that history ultimately is for one person, and his name is Jesus. That's why your choices matter. It's because ultimately it's all for him. All the glory, all the advance, all the breakthrough, it's for him. It's for him, and that's why in heaven we have this picture of the elders taken off their crowns, almost representing the breakthroughs they've seen in their life, and they put them at the feet of one person. His name is Jesus. And there is one song that's sung at the end of all things. Salvation belongs to him. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. I want to live my life in such a way I have something to give him. Amen. Why don't we stand and let's pray. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I've got a few minutes before I need to release parents to go and get kids, so let's just respond to him right now. Why don't you close your eyes just where you are? Just engage with God right now. Just a tremendous sense of his presence in this room right now. He's coming to, for some of you, he's coming just to renew your first love. Others of you, he's coming to just breathe on the dreams in your heart. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you in this place right now. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Do you know, if you would recognize that you just need a fresh touch from God with regard to your first love, your first love of Jesus. If you know, perhaps you've just been living in a functional place, a, a place where you're kind of doing your duty, but the, the fire's gone out. Why don't you just lift your hands to the Lord just where you are? And I just wanna pray for you. If you want a renewal of your first love today, we just wanna pray for you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Ministry team, just feel free to move in amongst people to pray. Lord, I just pray right across this room right now, Lord, for a renewal of first love. First love, Lord, that first intoxicating love we had when we first realized Jesus has found me. Jesus has found me. Jesus has plucked me out and saved me. Wow, what a Saviour He is. What a God I have. Wow, what love. What love is this? Lord, I pray You'd come and ruin us all over again with first love. First love. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. God, come, Lord, where we've, some of us just got bored and stale. Lord, where we've stopped doing the simple things well. God, come right now. Lord, break through, break through the atrophy. God, break through the passivity. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and renew first love. Renew first love. Spirit of God. Just ask Him, say, Lord, I repent. I repent of letting the fire grow cold. Will you come on my life all fresh? Will you come on me afresh this morning? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just keep receiving from Him. Spirit of God. Spirit of God. Some of you are, some of you are in marriages that you just need, you need a fresh touch of the love of God to break into your own marriage. And again, if that's you, just, I'm not gonna ask you to put your hand up or come to the front, but perhaps just where you are, just respond to Jesus. You know that you need His help this morning. You know that you need His intervention. Just ask Him, ask Him. Come Holy Spirit, I pray for your fire in marriages. God, I just pray for your life to flood. Flood God into marriages tonight. Come, Spirit of God. Come, Lord. 
comes. God, I just pray right now that you would come and minister to areas of disappointment. Spirit of God. Come, Lord. I pray where I pray where we've shrunk our dreams. Where we've shrunk our dreams because of disappointment. Lord, come this morning. Come and breathe on God-given dreams in Jesus' name. Just raise your hand if you know that you, you have shrunk your dreams to fit your circumstances. There's numbers of you all around the room. Again, if you're, if you're near someone with their hand in the air, just go and pray for them real quick. Let's just pray. Let's pray for the resurrection of God's dreams. Let's pray that we learn how to navigate disappointment without downsizing the dreams that God has given us. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Lord, come Lord. I pray, I pray Lord, just for unexpressed grief over disappointment. God, I pray you'd enable us to express grief even now in Jesus' name. God, we pray what's deeply hidden in our hearts. God, enable us to be honest right now. Come, come Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus. 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 Just respond to Him. Don't be passive this morning. There is grace here for each and every one of you. We encourage you to talk to Him. Talk to Him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, come. Come, Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We're just going to carry on praying. But if you do have parents and king's kids, perhaps I can release just one of you to go and get your children, please. But otherwise, let's just stay in a place of responding to Him. Spirit of God, come Spirit of God. Shabbat Shalom.